0: If you could create a time machine and go into the future or the past, which would you choose? Would you go into the future or the past and why? I used to think that I would want to go into the past because if I went into the past, I'd be considered a genius. I mean, just think of all that I could tell people in the past. I'd have all kinds of inventions and all kinds of information. You know how today people say, just Google it when they don't know something? Well, I figured if I went into the past, back in time, people would say, just Darren it. If they don't know something, they'd say, just go ask Darren, that guy knows everything. I used to think that way. I don't think that way anymore though. The more I pondered the scenario of me going back in time, the more I began to realize how little I actually know. If I were to go centuries into the past, I'd be able to tell a lot of stories and make a lot of claims, but I would not be able to produce a lot of products. I mean, I could tell people about televisions and cell phones and rockets and automobiles, but I wouldn't be able to create any televisions or cell phones or rockets or automobiles. I'd have a lot of stories to tell, but I would not have any products to sell. I came to realize that if I went back in time, I wouldn't be considered a genius. I'd be considered a nut bar. Have you ever been asked the question, what would you say to the younger version of you if you could go back in time? Well, if I went back in time to meet the younger version of me, I would have some heated arguments. If I were to meet the younger version of me, I would have a lot of things to correct him on. I'd have to spend a lot of time setting him straight and some things that he had wrong. Today's version of Darren Latham disagrees on many issues with the younger version of Darren Latham. There are many things I thought I knew back then that I have since discovered were wrong as the years have gone by. And you need to know that arriving at this realization that I was wrong about things in my life was one of the most difficult yet one of the most liberating realizations in my entire life. Let's face it, nobody likes to be wrong. Everyone prefers to be right, but I was someone who needed to be right all the time. I used to have a slogan that I would half-jokingly recite. I've only been wrong once in my life. That's the time I thought I was wrong, but I was mistaken. Years ago, in a previous church I pastored, we had a professional counselor on staff with us. And she used to sit in my office with me about once a month for an hour and just talk and and listen to me. And uh, after a few sessions, she looked me in the eye and she said, Pastor Darren, have you ever considered that you might be what's called a right fighter? I said, what's a right fighter? She said, a right fighter is someone who has an unhealthy need to be right above everything else any discussion with a right fighter can quickly turn into a debate before you know it you find yourself pulled into a competition with them now the philosophy of a right fighter is simple in order for me to be right you need to be wrong every discussion is a fight a fight that someone has to win and when you're dealing with a right fighter the winner always has to be them now when that counselor suggested that I might be a right fighter, it should come to no, as no surprise to you that I disagreed with her. Otherwise, that would mean she was right, and that couldn't be true. But her words haunted me for the longest time, and the Spirit of God consistently nudged me in this area for many years, until I finally surrendered. One of the most life-giving moments in my journey so far was the moment I accepted God's invitation to admit that I might be wrong in life. So why are we so afraid of being exposed as wrong? What's at the root of having to be seen as right all the time? Well, the roots for each of us may be different. For some, there may be a history of being publicly shamed or humiliated by a teacher or a parent, and it's haunted them for their entire lives. For others, it may stem from continually having love or affection withheld from them in the past when they were wrong. So their unhealthy need to be right becomes subconsciously linked to their legitimate need to be loved. No two people are the same. No two histories are identical. But the invitation is open to everyone. So today, we continue in our Invitations from God series, based on this book, and we're going to spend a few moments opening and pondering this very invitation, the invitation to admit that we might be wrong. Now, I want to begin talking about possibly being wrong by talking about the desire to be right. It's not wrong to want to be right. To pursue the truth is noble. I mean, as followers of Jesus, you know, the one who said, I am the truth, we acknowledge that truth exists. Truth exists. We reject as irrational the concept that there's no such thing as objective truth. I've heard that many times spoken to me over the years in my discussions with people. When people say, there's no such thing as truth. Whenever they say that, I always respond by saying, well, is that true? Is it true that there's no such thing as truth? Because if it's true, there's no such thing as truth. Then it's false that there's no such thing as truth. So what is truth, people ask? Truth is whatever agrees with reality. Truth aligns with things as they actually are. So truth exists and truth is worth pursuing. It's worth pursuing truth. It's a good and noble thing to pursue the truth. It's a good thing to want to be right and to want to be on the side of truth. You say, well, why is that so good? Because decisions made in the light of reality are better than decisions made in the darkness of deception. So let's be clear from the beginning. Truth exists, and it's not wrong to want to be right. Pursuing the truth is a noble thing to do. However, having said all of that, it's important to acknowledge that as mortal, fallible human beings, our grasp of the truth is uncertain. What do I mean by that? I mean, God invites us to acknowledge the possibility that not everything we believe agrees with reality. God says, I I invite you to acknowledge the possibility that not everything that you believe necessarily agrees with the truth. We don't always get things right. God invites us to admit that we might be wrong. Now, in the Bible, the book of Proverbs is a collection of wise sayings. In a series we did here at Broadway, we liken Proverbs to a collection of ancient tweets or ancient bumper stickers. Well, in Proverbs 21.2, we find the following observation. A person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart. So the writer is inviting us to admit that we might be wrong. The writer is pointing out that we can sometimes convince ourselves we're right, but God knows what is really going on beneath the surface and behind the scenes. The same insight, using different words, is found in Proverbs 16.2, where it says, All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, a key leader in the first century church, made this fascinating observation while he was defending himself against some false charges. Paul wrote this. He says, hey, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. So Paul was saying, as far as I know, I'm convinced that I'm right. But hey, That doesn't necessarily guarantee that I'm right. It is entirely possible that I might be wrong. Only God knows for sure. So as confident and intelligent and self-aware as Paul apparently was, he had clearly accepted God's invitation to admit that he might be wrong. In Luke chapter 7, a religious leader named Simon thought he knew the heart and the value of the woman that crashed his dinner party, But Jesus showed Simon that he was completely wrong about her. In John chapter 4, the woman that met Jesus at the local water well, she thought she had all the religious boxes checked in her life. But Jesus showed her that she was wrong in her religious thinking. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus' disciples thought they had God's justice and judgment all figured out when it came to the tower in Siloam that fell on a bunch of people and killed them. And Jesus let them know that it wasn't that simple, that their concepts of justice and judgment were wrong. Think back over your own life. How many times has your thinking been exposed as faulty? How many times have you had to acknowledge that the beliefs within you and the reality around you did not align? How many times have you had to admit that you might be wrong? So when you pull it all together, you discover that we live in the middle of a tension. On one side of the ledger, we have the reality that truth exists, and living according to the truth is the best-case scenario in life. However, on the other side of life's ledger, we have the reality that it's possible, even likely, that we are presently believing things that are not, in fact, the truth. Think about that. As you're sitting there right now, at this very moment, you are believing things that are not true. As you're sitting there right now, in your mind, close to your heart, within the orbit of your belief systems, thoughts and assumptions and declarations that are not true. That's a pretty sobering thought, isn't it? So how can a person live in the middle of such attention? How can a person live with confidence knowing that there are things they're believing that are false? We're going to spend our last few minutes together answering that question. We're going to show how to live life while accepting God's invitation to admit that we might be wrong. And in doing so, we're going to see how accepting this invitation actually brings peace, liberty, and strangely enough, truth into our lives. I've taken a bunch of different classes over my lifetime. I remember my first year of high school, I took a typing class. And the first thing we learned in that typing class was the proper posture at the typewriter. I took guitar lessons as a young man. First thing I learned from my guitar teacher was the proper posture for playing your guitar. I took power skating as a young kid, and the first thing we learned was the proper posture for getting the most power out of your stride. Posture is important in life, and posture is all about positioning. Now, when it comes to typing and guitar playing and skating, it's all about the posture of the body. But when it comes to being willing to admit that we might be wrong, it's all about the posture of the heart and the mind. And I am proposing to you that the best posture for living life accepting today's invitation from God is to live according to the following two postures. One is the posture of humility. That means acknowledging that you are limited in your understanding. Now I got to tell you, I thought that acknowledging this reality would be more difficult than it was. As a posture by calling and a right fighter by nature... I was believing the lie that I had to have an answer for everything at all times. I was believing the lie as a pastor that if I didn't have the answer, that meant that God didn't have the answer. Now, I know that sounds bizarre, but I've discovered that most lies are bizarre when you get to their root. Since I've accepted God's invitation to admit that I might be wrong, I've discovered the joy and the power and the liberty of saying three little words. Speaking these three little words out loud in public has revolutionized my life. I want you to write these three little words down somewhere because they are life-giving. You got a pen, pencil, are you ready? Here they are. The three little words are this, I don't know. Say it with me, I don't know. Now string them together, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. See how easy that is? I now have the humility to acknowledge that I am limited in my understanding, that the three and a half pounds of brain in my skull cannot possibly contain all the mysteries and all the answers in life. I have the humility to admit that there are plenty of things that I don't know. Now, this posture of humility expresses itself in two distinct scenarios. Admitting you might be wrong when you know you're wrong, that's called confession. Now, on the surface, you think, well, this is pretty obvious. You know, of course, admitting you might be wrong when you know you're wrong. Well, that actually is, that does take humility. Think about the op- Opposite not admitting you're wrong when you know you're wrong. That's ego, that's arrogance, that's pride. So admitting you might be wrong when you know you're wrong, that's a form of humility. That's confession. There's another aspect to this humility. Admitting you might be wrong when you're pretty sure you're right, that's called maturity. You think you're right, you're pretty sure you're right, but you admit, hey, I could be wrong. I mean, that was... Paul's position of humility in the passage we studied a moment ago. Remember, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. Paul's saying, I'm pretty sure I'm right, but hey, I could be wrong. That's a sign of maturity. Now understand this. Accepting God's invitation to admit you might be wrong is not claiming that you can't know anything or you don't know anything. Accepting God's invitation to admit you might be wrong is simply saying, Here's what I believe. Here's what I think is true. Here's why I believe it. But I am open to the possibility that I could be wrong. Now, you may even be at a level of confidence in your belief where you could say, hey, I am so convinced in this area that I can say I am as certain as I can possibly be that this is true. But hey, I'm not infallible. If I'm shown to be wrong, I will change my mind. We're proposing today that the best posture for living life while accepting God's invitation to admit that we might be wrong is to live according to two mental-emotional postures. First, the posture of humility an acknowledgement that you're limited in your understanding. Second is the posture of teachability. That's a willingness to learn from others. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible and the words of Jesus, Think how many times you heard Jesus say, you have heard other people tell you this, but I am telling you this. You've heard other people say X, but I am telling you Y. Growing in life and living according to the truth means learning and unlearning things. It means being willing to listen. It means being willing to change your mind. It means being open to being taught. One of the great joys in my life is watching our youngest grandson. He's about a year and a half old. And whenever I'm with him, I spend a day with him, and I realize at that age, he is constantly learning. From the moment he wakes up to the moment he goes to bed, that little guy is learning. Now, admittedly, he's a genius because he's my grandson, but I don't think he's that unusual in this area. He's just always turning dials and opening drawers and listening to words and repeating after you and learning new sounds. He's constantly learning. But the truth is, little children are constantly learning. Little children are the most teachable creatures on earth. With that in mind, listen afresh to what Jesus once said. I'm quoting Jesus now. The Bible says that the disciples came to Jesus and asked, well, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And Jesus said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Who is the greatest in God's kingdom? According to Jesus, those who are the most like children. And what are children known for? Well, I'd propose to you that children are known for two postures in life, their humility and their teachability. So when you learn and live these postures, you will position yourself to pursue the truth in a way that ensures you'll hold to the truth when you find it, and you'll discard the lies when you recognize them. That is what it means, and that is why it matters to accept God's invitation to admit we might be wrong. God wants us to know and to live according to the truth, and we can only live that way if we are willing to admit when we're wrong. So have you accepted this invitation? Or are you still clinging to the need to always be right? Are you afraid to admit you might be wrong like I was for so long in my life? Are you afraid of what others will think of you? Are you believing the lie that being wrong means being unvaluable or unlovable? Please hear me. God does not love you more when you're right, and God does not love you less when you're wrong. God's love does not depend upon you having the right views on every topic. A couple days ago, I was driving in my car with my wife, and I had the stereo blasting. I was listening to Chris Tomlin, and the song on the stereo was Whom Shall I Fear? And I was singing out loud and singing along with Chris. Have you ever sung a song and realized you got the lyrics wrong? Well, I was singing out loud, I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies is always on my side. And then I stopped. And I realized, hold on, what I just sang and what Chris is singing on the album are not the same thing. The words are not, God is always on my side. The words are, God is always by my side. The truth is, God's not always on my side. He's always by my side, but he's not always on my side. The truth is, sometimes God says, Darren, you're wrong on this one. I'm actually with your opponents on this. You're wrong. They're right. I'm not on your side on this one, Darren, but I want you to know I'm by your side. I'll never leave you. I don't always agree with you, but I'll never leave you. You see, God loves you with a perfect, unconditional love. But he loves you too much to leave you wallowing in lies. He loves you too much to let you remain in the darkness. He confronts us because he wants to heal us. And that brings us to today's big idea, where we sum up the teaching in one simple sentence. Here it is. Admitting I might be wrong prevents me from clinging to what is wrong. Admitting I might be wrong prevents me from clinging to what is wrong. God isn't inviting us to admit we might be wrong as a way of humiliating us. No, God's inviting us to admit we might be wrong as a way of healing us. Admitting I might be wrong prevents me from clinging to what is wrong. 27 years ago, the Spirit of God exposed something within me that I had been clinging to for my entire life. I believed it even though I didn't know I believed it. It was in my heart even though I didn't know it was in my heart. Like the proverb says, a person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart. This is what happened. About 27 years ago, I was journaling I, as I've taught here at Broadway, I believe God speaks to us through spontaneous thoughts. And and the Spirit of God speaks and drops thoughts into our minds. And often by journaling, by writing down these thoughts, we can have an interaction with the Spirit of God. It's not equivalent to Scripture, but God can give impressions to us. We've taught on this at Broadway many times. And so I was journaling and I was going through a season of depression and despair and doubt in my own life. And often, at this season particularly, when I would try to interact and talk with God, I would picture myself on the slope on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. I've been there many times where they believe the Sermon on the Mount was preached. And I, so I picture myself sitting there on a rock across from Jesus who's sitting on a large rock. And I picture myself having a conversation with him. And in my mind, in sort of a vision, I, I picture Jesus and I chatting. And I picture Jesus pointing to a rock on the ground between us. And he pointed down at this stone on the ground and he said, Darren, what's that? And I said, it's a rock. And he said, that's right. He says, how valuable is that rock? And I said, it's worthless. It's not valuable at all. I said, it's been there for centuries, millennia, millions of years, depending on a person's view. I said, but it's been there. It's probably been walked over, trampled by men and women and children and animals. It's just been ignored and forgotten and abused. And he said, that's right. He says, uh, and then he reached down and he picked it up and he said, now how valuable is it? I said, well now it's it's, it's priceless. If I had a rock that was known to be held by Jesus of Nazareth, you could not, all the money in the world could not purchase that rock. He said, that's right. And then he said this, Darren, this rock is you. You were once abused, you were once trampled over, you were once ignored and you felt worthless, but I now hold you in my hands, and your value is attached to my value. At that moment, Jesus invited me to admit that I was wrong about myself. At that moment, Jesus invited me to admit that I had a wrong view and a wrong source of my value and my worth. It was at that moment that I learned and experienced the power of accepting God's invitation to admit that I might be wrong. And today, I encourage you to accept the same invitation and experience the same life-changing power. Let's pray together as we conclude. God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your truth. I thank you that you love us too much to let us live in darkness. I thank you that you love us too much to let us to continue to believe lies about ourselves and the world around us. I thank you that you are the truth. And not just truth in some abstract way, you are the truth. Jesus, you said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And so when we pursue truth, we're pursuing you. And I thank you that you, the truth, are pursuing us, you won't leave us in darkness. And so if you're watching today and you've not yet accepted God's invitation to be cleansed and be forgiven, to have the truth pour into your life and transform you, right now I want to give you the opportunity to accept the one who is the way, who is the truth, and who is the life to come into your life and begin to change and transform you. Pray this with me right now. God, I acknowledge I've been living according to a lie. I acknowledge that I have not been living according to your design. I don't want to live that way anymore. And so I accept your forgiveness. I accept your presence. I accept your truth to come rushing into my life and to begin to cleanse and purge me. Make me new from this moment forward. Now, I know I'm not going to be perfect. It's going to be a journey as you reveal truth to me and I let go of lies but I will be living in the assurance that you'll love me and your love is unconditional and will hold me to the end. And give me the courage to tell somebody about this decision before my head hits the pillow tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, on the screen right now, there's a number that you can text and someone will help you take the next step in your journey. Maybe you have some questions. They'll help you to answer those questions to the best of their ability. Now, we're not tricking you. You're not joining Broadway Church. You're not gonna be placed on some mailing list. We just wanna help you in any way that we can. Well, thank you for joining with us as we continue in our series, Invitations from God. Join us again next week as we pick up another powerful invitation from God for our lives. God bless you. Thanks for being with us today.